Well, good morning, church. Will you open with me in prayer? Father, we come to you and we ask that by your spirit that you would accomplish all that you intend to accomplish in your people today. I pray, Father, that you would receive the glory that you were due and that all of us would worship you as we ought. I pray, Father, that you would give your servant strength and that you would exalt yourself in weakness. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by bringing you a specific update on the Herod family and on Emma's condition. As most of you know, last Friday, a week ago this past Friday, Emma had another MRI. And we as a church have been praying specifically that this MRI would show improvement in Emma's condition and that it would specifically show signs of healing. In recent weeks, we've been encouraged to see how Emma's condition has uh, been improving. She's been showing signs of outward improvement. Emma has been swallowing, and Mark said that she has recently begun making, making humming sounds. Mark and Jody specifically asked us uh, this past weekend to pray that, that when this MRI was read on Monday, that the report would be good. Mark expressed confidence in this publicly, saying, God is our strength, and we know that there is nothing that is too difficult to him. No distance is too great for him. On Monday evening, after the Herods received the results of the MRI, this is what our pastor posted publicly. We know that God hears our prayers, and the reality is that sometimes he says no. The results of the MRI were not good. Jody, Ellen, Sam, and I are working to figure out how to best care for Emma. So please pray for us to know what to do and for grace and strength. Thank you for the love and prayers that you have shown us. We need them now more than ever, end quote. A few days ago on Friday, Mark called me to explain the findings of the MRI, which he has publicly described as being not good. And the results have been devastating. The MRI revealed two primary things. First of all, Emma has suffered significant loss of brain tissue, and that brain tissue is not going to be repaired. Secondly, and worse, her condition is worsening. The doctors have told the Herods that medically speaking, there is little more that they can do to treat her illness. Mark told me on Friday, these are his exact words, Emma's condition is worsening, and humanly speaking, nothing more can be done. Again, his exact words to me this week were, this is our pastor saying, barring a miracle from the Lord, Emma's going to pass away. The Herods are now considering different options to place Emma in hospice care. And as Emma's condition worsens, she's going to need continual medical care, and they're hoping to find a hospice facility for her that is close to home. 
They desperately want to be back home, and they desperately want to be back with us, their church family. The doctors have communicated that there is no good way for them to determine a time frame. However, the time frame that they have given Emma is one week to six months to live. Of course, we know that God knows all things. God understands and that ultimately Emma is in his perfect care. Through tears on Friday, Mark told me that they're still praying and they still trust the Lord, but that they don't want Emma to suffer. Again, Mark's exact words were, if Emma is to be home with the Lord, we want her to be home with the Lord. And so now Mark, Jody, Sue Ellen, and Sam, and we as a church family are left to face the thought of life without our sweet Emma. And such a thought is far too bleak, and it's far too difficult, and it's far too terrible to face without the Lord. So before we do anything else this morning, I would like to call our church into a time of prayer together. You can pray in whatever manner you like. If you want to kneel, that's fine. If you want to sit, that's fine. You can, you can, you can, do, what, you can do whatever you like. So will you please join me, church, as we pray for the Herod family. Father, this morning we call out to you. You have heard hundreds and hundreds of thousands of prayers in the recent months. We've all been begging for you to, to do your will, to give comfort to the Herods and to heal Emma. And Father, we trust you. We know that our pastor and his family, we know that they trust you. They trust you even now. But Father, we're so small. You, and you know our frame. You remember that we are just dust. We know that you have compassion. And so Father, we're crying out, would you give help? We pray specifically for the Herod family. I pray, Father, that you would bring comfort to Mark and Jody and, and their children. We plead with you that you would minister to them in a way that is, that is overwhelming and that in the valley of darkness that your presence would be so clear to them. We know that you are near to those who are brokenhearted. We know that you save those who are crushed in spirit. So, Father, we plead with you this morning, minister to this family. And, Father, we pray that in the life of this church, Father, that you would help us to see you clearly, to, to cry rightly, and to honor you in the days and weeks and years that are ahead. Father, we, we know that you can do all things. We know that nothing is too difficult to you. And Father, and though we've heard this, this overwhelming report, we continually ask if you think that it is wise and if you judge that it would be good, would you heal Emma completely? You've given life to the dead. 
But Father, we also know that Emma will rise again. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us and that you would honor yourself in this family and in the life of this church. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. The coming weeks and the coming months will be absolutely critical in the life of this church. Because the way that we respond is going to reveal what we believe about God. The way that we choose to pray, the way that we choose to process and the way we choose to cry, the way we choose to speak, the way we choose to sing, the way we choose to love one another, all of these things are going to expose what we believe about the goodness of God and His power and His sovereignty. We're all deeply concerned with the Herod family. Over the last several months, we as a church have done everything that we can. We've done the best that we can do to gather around them and to support them and to, and to weep with them. We've tried to get up underneath the burden that, that we fear could crush them. And we're going to continue to do this. I know that one of the things that has been so hard about this for us, it's been so hard for me, is, is that the Herod family has been unable to be physically with us. They haven't been here. And that's been so hard for us. And even though they're, they're not with us, we have still continued to love on them. We've prayed. We've wept. We've made trips. We have given financially and all of this in an attempt to ease their burden. And this is good. And this is right. And we're going to keep doing things like this. But now the suffering has come to our doorstep. And though the Herod's suffering is at the top of our hearts and it's going to continue to be, they're not the only ones who are affected by this. Because all who love them are affected by this. We are all drawn into this, and rightly so. This is the way God intended it to be. The Bible says that for the body does not consist of one member, but of, but of many. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what Paul says. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So suffering has come to our doorstep. I know that this is not going to affect all of us in the same way. Some of us have known Emma since she was born. Some of us are best friends with her. Some of us have taught her. Some of us have rocked her in the nursery. Some of us have only known her for a few years. Some of us have never even met her, but we've been blessed by Mark and Jody's ministry and by, and by Mark's preaching. But this affects all of us. Surely all of us would say that, that no parent should have to watch their daughter be ill. 
And those of us who are parents are now left to wrestle with the reality that if something like this could happen to Emma, then could it happen to me? And if this could happen to a family like the Herods, a generous and gracious family who has given their lives to serve the Lord, then surely this could happen to anyone. The suffering has come right to our doorsteps. And suffering brings moments of crisis. Because no matter who you are, and no matter what your connections are to to Emma and to the Herod family or to this church, every single one of us must now grapple with the fact that there is a God in heaven who is good and who does love us and who is infinitely powerful, but he still permits terrible things to happen in this world, even to those who serve him faithfully. This is a crisis of worship. We are all worshipers, and we are worshiping all the time. And starting right now, every single one of us will have to make decisions about what we choose to believe and say and think about God. Every single one of us is going to be asking questions. We're going to be looking for answers. And the way that we answer these questions matters. Every single one of us will have to decide if we can worship a God who claims to be loving and who claims to hear our prayers and who claims to be infinitely powerful, powerful enough to heal any disease and that he may not choose to do so. I'm looking around this morning, and I'm seeing people who have grieved the loss of loved ones, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all suffered in different ways and in different degrees, and so you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. This is not new. This is not the first time we have, we have suffered. We have to face the fact that God could heal Emma, and he may not choose to do so. Every single one of us, Mark, Jody, Sue Ellen, Sam, you, me, every single one of us must decide through our tears if we can still worship this God. A God whose ways we cannot understand. A God whose steps we cannot see. Or if we will curse him and turn away. It is so much easier to worship a God who does everything we ask. It would be so much easier to worship a God who gives us what we want and whose ways never confuse us, who doesn't baffle us or surprise us or confuse us. But that God does not exist, and it's a good thing that he doesn't because he would be no God at all. He'd be an idol a God fashioned after our own image. And the true God of the universe, the God of the heaven and heavens, is infinitely beyond us. 
Do we not remember Isaiah 55 where the Lord tells us as high as the heavens are, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, it is so hard to see God clearly when we have tears in our eyes. So we must be sure to worship God as he actually is and not as we dream him to be. And as we make sense, as we try to make sense of our world, and as we try to make sense of our own sufferings, each of us is inevitably going to be tempted to say and to think untrue things about God as we try to interpret our circumstances. And my prayer for this church My prayer for this church has been that no matter what type of grief lies ahead of us, in this circumstance and in all of the circumstances that lie ahead of us, whether that's corporate grief, whether that's individual grief, that we would turn to the Lord in our difficulties. And that's why I'm still convinced that there's something else that we must do this morning. We must still turn to the Scriptures. The ministry of this church, Mark's life, has been built around the conviction that God's Word is sufficient to speak to the problems of our life. And if it's not sufficient now, it's never sufficient. God's Word is sufficient We preach the scriptures because we believe that God has spoken to us in his word and that he has given us all that we need to deal with the troubles that we face. And not only that, we believe that there is no real, no real lasting hope, no real pleasure outside of the word of God. And so in times of darkness, in times of great uncertainty, Where else can we turn? I have no other answers. Where else can we turn other than the Scriptures? Oh, how I pray that in the coming days that that we as a church would turn to the Scriptures. Oh, how I pray that our hearts would not grow hardened to God. But that this darkness would press us in to know Him. Oh, how I pray that we would not be a people whose tears blind us from seeing the living God with accuracy. We must turn to the Lord in times of difficulty. We must run to the Lord in times of loss. We must lean into Him, not on our own understanding. If you lean on your own understanding, you'll collapse. You can't hold it. I pray that when God seems hidden to us, that when mystery covers his ways like a dark cloud, that we would run to his word where he still speaks to us, where he is clear. That we would not be left alone with our thoughts and our doubts and with all the small, empty, petty comforts of the world. So let me invite you to turn this morning to John chapter 16. I want you to see this in the scriptures because otherwise you may be tempted to think 
but these are my ideas. I want you to see it. In John chapter 16, Jesus has been giving what is known as the farewell discourse. It's where Jesus is preparing his disciples and all who follow him to live on earth without him. Don't you wish that Jesus was here with us right now? Don't you wish that we could just put him in the car and take him to the hospital and he could fix this? Jesus was preparing his disciples for how to live without him. And he tells us something that is so interesting in the previous chapters. He tells us that it's actually better for him to go, better for him to leave us. That's what he says in chapter 16, verse 7. He says that it is to our advantage because it is better to have Jesus in us than Jesus beside us. Because Jesus says he's going to send the Spirit. It's better to have Jesus, it's better to have the Spirit inside of us than to have Jesus beside us, which is what we need to live on an earth where Christ no longer dwells. In this text, Jesus was preparing his disciples to live without him, and this is what he says in verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world." Church, the first truth that I would like to draw your attention to this morning is a promise that Jesus made. In this world, you are guaranteed to have trouble. How many of us here live on earth? All of us. Every single one of us. Notice the certainty of Jesus' words. You will you will have trouble. I promise. It's guaranteed. Jesus guarantees hard lives. You can expect it. You can plan on it. And you better prepare for it. If you are in the world, you're going to have trouble. That is to say, there will be times where your condition here will be unpleasant. You and I are born into trouble as a fish is born into water. It is the circumstance of our lives. Now sure, because of God's incredible and staggering common grace, we all know all sorts of blessings and joys that we don't deserve. And when we're thinking straight, we see them and we praise God for them. But no matter how many blessings of family you have, no matter how much leather furniture is in your house, no matter how many vacations you get to take, there's nothing that you can do to insulate your life from trouble. Nothing. And though we as believers, though we enjoy God's special care and His eye is upon us, we're not immune to the difficulties of life. We're not immune from illness, suffering, disappointment, toil, death, all of us, believers, 
non-believers alike, we all live outside of Eden. We're all outside of the gates. So our lives are filled with trouble. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'd like for you to jot this down this morning. You can probably remember it, but you can jot it down. Write world equals sign trouble. World equals trouble. That's what Jesus says. But he says more. So I'd like for you to notice another thing about this text. Peace is available. Peace is available. I've said these things to you. Why? So that you may have peace. Peace. True peace. Lasting peace is available in a world of death. Lasting peace is available in the midst of your circumstances. But you can only find it in one place. Look down at your Bibles. Find the word with me. Where is this peace found? Do you see that small two-letter word? I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. There is no true peace that can be found anywhere in this world except in the person of Jesus Christ. The peace that Jesus is referring to is not talking about the absence of suffering. He was getting ready to die on a cross. He's not talking about the absence of suffering. He's not talking about the absence of conflict. He's not promising you a life of health and wealth and prosperity. He's not doing that. You remember what he said in chapter 14? John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Church, listen to me. Any peace that you think that you can find outside of the person of Jesus Christ will fail you. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you unsatisfied and hopeless. We are all tempted to find inner peace in all sorts of ways apart from the person of Christ. The world is so good at this, but it's a failed project. In recent weeks, we have been talking about all sorts of ways that we try to bridge the gap between us and God. Ways that we try to find our identity, maybe in what other people think of us, or maybe in how we feel about ourselves, or maybe by surrounding us by ourselves by good things. Maybe we try to find inner peace by doing good stuff, by attending church and giving and serving, whatever it is that makes you feel religiously good. And this world has all sorts of peace substitutes. You can buy them in the store. Some of them you buy on a street corner. Butter, sugar, salt, alcohol, little pills that the doctor can give you, all sorts of substances that will take the edge off and bring comfort to us in a world of trouble. And we could spend hours on this, but here's the question. What exactly is it that comforts you 
in this world of trouble? Where do you run when things are falling apart? You remember that little formula I told you to write down? The world equals trouble. If you run to the world, what are you going to get? You're just going to get more trouble. If you try to get peace from the world, you're going to get more trouble to add to your trouble. The world is full of trouble. Peace is not found in the world. It may take the edge off, but you've got to get more. And you'll just find more trouble. I'm here today to tell you that no peace, no true peace is available in this world except for the peace that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just knowing him a little so you go to heaven instead of hell, but I'm talking walking with God. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care if you say that you believe in Jesus. I don't care if you say you've asked him into your heart. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you run to him when your life is falling apart? Do you bank all of your hope and all of your happiness in him? The Christian gospel does not promise that your life is going to be easier. It doesn't promise that it's going to get better yet. The gospel doesn't promise that your wife isn't going to miscarriage. The gospel doesn't promise that your mom won't die. The gospel doesn't promise that your career plans are going to work out. The gospel doesn't promise that your husband's going to be faithful or come back. The gospel promises that for all who stop trusting in themselves to be good enough, and for those who instead look to Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and the power that he gives, the gospel promises that for all of us who follow him, that means we give up the lesser pleasures of the world, and we obey him, even when it's hard and dark and confusing. The gospel promises that we can have peace with God. And God promises that he won't destroy us. He won't pull back his bow and let his arrow of wrath fly at us. He'll put it down. And we can have peace with God. Instead of being God's enemy, the gospel says he'll adopt us. He'll take his inheritance and he'll give it to us. He won't call us enemy. He won't call us far. But he'll call us sons and daughters. He will give you the richest inheritance, and all that is his will belong to us. That is peace. That is total peace. I don't care what your variety of peace is, what you're tempted to be drawn to. The world offers trouble, not peace. And you've got to run to Jesus because Jesus has overcome the world. Which brings us to the third point in this text, and this is the light of hope for us this morning. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. In the face of trouble, and the disciples were getting ready for lots of trouble, how does Jesus comfort his disciples? What hope does he offer them? Look down at the text. Take heart. I have overcome the world. The word overcome is an awesome word. 
Nikao. I love it. It's a military word. It's, it's a word that, that shows total victory. It's meaning that in the face of obstacles, Jesus wins. Jesus is the victor. Jesus conquers. Jesus prevails over his enemies. In John chapter 16 and 17, the cross is looming ahead of us. It's looming ahead of Jesus, and he still says, take heart. I've already won. I've already overcome the world, and he's looking ahead to his work on the cross. When Jesus says that he's overcome the world, he's talking about the sum total of everything here that is opposed to God. Satan his, his little, his enemies, his minions, his little, his guys that do his work, all those who hate God, all the consequences of sin. That's why the world's full of trouble. It's because it's opposed to God. And Jesus has overcome it all. Sin, the result of sin, the consequences of sin, pride, death, divorce, fibromyalgia, depression, arguments, hell. Jesus has overcome it all. And on the cross, Jesus went face to face with evil. And Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus overcame. He proved that he is stronger. This means that Jesus is stronger than all of the forces of evil and all of the destruction of sin and all of the consequences of rebellion. And it is a good thing because I am not. I buckle so fast. And I want to be on his team. In a couple weeks in 1 Samuel, I'll be preaching on David and Goliath. What a great story. All of Israel was afraid in the face of evil. You have this monstrous epitome embodiment of evil, Goliath, the one who mocks the living God and who mocks his people. And what are God's people doing? What is Saul, the people's king, what's he doing? They're hiding. They're cowering. They're afraid until a boy comes up and says, no, this man will not defy the living God. And he takes a rock and a sling And Goliath falls, and David goes up, and he puts his foot on his head. And he pulls out his own sword, and he cuts his head off. That is overcoming. That is nakao. That is what has happened. I, all of Israel won. David was the only one who fought, and all of Israel cheered, right? I want to be on his side. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And so the question that remains for us this morning is, are you with him? Are you in him? Are you on the side of the Philistines? Or are you on the side of Israel? Jesus does the fighting. Not you, not me. Jesus does the fighting. So are you in him? And if you are, you can have peace even in this world of trouble, and even in the midst of total darkness. That's why we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I'm, I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? I've said these things to you, 
that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Pat, will you please come lead us in song? You can remain seated as we hear a reminder of God's faithfulness.